Now, this morning we're continuing our series on the I Am statements of Jesus, and we're looking at his fourth saying this morning. Uh, And last time we talked a little bit about the idea of shepherding in Israel. This was a couple of weeks ago, and I wanted to show you a video that I found during the week, and uh, about uh, just helps to illustrate a bit more what the life of a shepherd. Uh, is like. Now, obviously, these guys didn't travel back in time to film someone in the first century, but they they found someone who lives kind of in that Middle Eastern uh, area and shepherds in a similar way that these guys did uh, back in the day. So I'm just going to roll that video now and uh, we'll have a look. It's only a couple of minutes and then we'll get back up and talk some more. I love how the sheep trust him so much, right? I mean, you look at the start when he's buying them and he's like pulling them, you know, there's three sheep there and then he's got to shove them. But then at the end when he's shearing that sheep, you see how it just lays its head right down and he's like cutting right next to its neck and uh, I wouldn't let anyone shave my beard like that, you know. Um, so it's, I can't, uh, you know, no wonder it's taught him so much about God and who God is and how God cares for us. Um, last time, we were talking about God as our, or Jesus as the gate uh, or the door, and we read Psalm 23, and I think that's a good place for us to start this morning to get us back into that thinking about God as our shepherd. And so um, this is the saying that we're talking about this morning, I am the good shepherd, and uh, we're going to read Psalm 23 to start. The Lord is my shepherd, I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the paths for his na- the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Awesome. Let's pray as we come to consider uh, God's word this morning. Lord, we thank you that you are the good shepherd and that you are the one who leads, guides, and directs us and who loves and cherishes us. And we just pray that as we consider this aspect of who you are this morning, that you would bless us, open our hearts to hear and our minds to understand more of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the Old Testament, uh, it refers to God as the shepherd, the shepherd of Israel, and it's talking about him as the leader of the people, the person who kind of leads them and guides them. And there are plenty of places in the Old Testament where God calls out the leaders that are over his people but under him uh, as bad shepherds or false shepherds. So we've got a couple of places here in Jeremiah 23, uh, verses 1 and 2. The Lord says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. This is the Lord's declaration. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says about the shepherds who tend my people. You have scattered my flock, banished them, and have not attended to them. I am about to attend to you. (laughs) That's pretty intense, isn't it? Because of your evil acts. This is the Lord's declaration. And then uh, in Ezekiel chapter 34, which the whole chapter is really about all of this idea of the the bad shepherds and how much they've failed God's flock. Um, 
but we'll just read the, the verses 2 to 6. Son of man, which is God's name for Ezekiel, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? You eat the fat, wear the wool, and butcher the fattened animals, but you do not tend the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for all the wild animals when they were scattered. My flock went astray on all the mountains and every high hill. My flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and there was no one searching for them or seeking for them. And this is what Jesus is saying in saying, I am the good shepherd. He is reclaiming his uh, and God's role as the leader, the one over Israel, the true shepherd, the good, right, proper, correct, only shepherd. He's the one who is anointed for God, by God for this task, and he's come to take what is rightfully his. And so we're going to explore that this morning. But first, I want to tell you about my kid's new favorite Disney movie. Okay. <laughs> Because they, they love uh, The Princess and the Frog is their new favorite one. Um, I don't know if you've seen that. This is probably, I don't know if this, is, if this is, but it's one of the last traditionally animated films that Disney released. So it's not a computer animated film. It's like hand-drawn animation. And the main character who is the princess there, her name's Tiana. And one of the motivators in the story is that she has this dream to own a restaurant. And she's been working at it her whole life, and she's been working two, three jobs to save up. And, and uh, they have this shot in the movie of her, um, her savings, and she's got all these big jars just full of coins that she saved to buy this restaurant. And, you know, throughout the course of the film, it looks like she's going to lose it. But then at the end of the film, she gets it, and it's hers. And you can see how she values it, how much she really appreciates and, and really is excited about owning this restaurant. And I'm sure that you guys have experienced that when you get a like a new item that you've really waited for for a long time, something that you really want and you have the care, like a new car, like something that's quite expensive, a new car, and you're like, we're never eating food in the car again, children, you know? I don't know if you've ever laid down that law. Lasts about six months and then, the, you know, it slowly starts getting eroded. Um, <laughs> and this is the sort of thing uh, that Jesus tells us when he says that he is the good shepherd. This is the sort of thing that we need to understand about him, is that the shepherds, they own the sheep, right? That's the first thing. The sheep belong to the shepherd, okay? He's the one who has uh, control over them. To take one away from the shepherd is to be a thief, which is what he's accused um, the, the Pharisees of. He says that they are the thieves, this is what uh, it means for Jesus to have absolute ownership over us. It means he can do whatever he wants with the sheep. It's the same with our stuff. You know, I have a car, and if I wanted to uh, hit it with a sledgehammer, I could do that, right? Not that I would do that, but I could. It's within my rights to, to smash it, to give it away, to leave it sitting around in the garage collecting dust, doing nothing. It's the same with the shepherd. The shepherd can do what he wants with his sheep. Some of them he could use for wool. Some of them he could use for breeding. Others he could sell. And others he could use for sacrifices. Right? Paul highlights this for us 
in the book of Romans in chapter 9, where he says this. On the contrary, who are you, human being, to talk back to God? Will what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Or has the potter no right over the clay to make from the same lump one piece of pottery for honor and another for dishonor? This is a radical notion for us to think about in our own day. We have a strong sense of autonomy, a strong sense of ownership, and we desire like the big thing that we want is personal freedom, to be able to say what we want, to be able to do what we want, to be able to have the last say when it comes to ourselves and our lives. But the thing is, we want it without consequences. We want to do whatever we want without having to deal with the negative effects and the negative emotions that come with some of the decisions and the choices that we make. It's what I would call uh, autonomous hedonism, maybe. Uh, We want to be in charge of our decisions and have them all end in pleasure and perfection and good things for ourselves, no matter what we choose. But we're surprised when things don't turn out like we plan. Now, when Jesus is claiming to be the good shepherd, he's kind of debunking this idea because even in the church, we have this idea that kind of has leaked in that we want to have the spiritual but not religious kind of people. We want the benefits of Jesus or the benefits of our spirituality without having the accountability to God over us. In our day and age today, the, the self is the biggest idol that we face. It's the thing that gets in our way of Jesus, the relationship with Jesus the most, because it's part of our society. It's just in the air that we breathe. We live for ourselves. We, you know, the, the self-love, the self-care kind of Uh, gospel is really um, out there and effective today. We we want to. I mean, you think about each election, what's the question that you ask? Which party is going to give me the most benefit and I'm going to vote for them? How am I going to get the most out of this? Because we want the authority over ourselves. The shepherd calls us and tells us that this is not actually the way that reality works. He calls us to give up control over our own lives, to radically accept what he has for us, not what we plan, not what we hope, not what we want, but what he has plans and wants for us. And he says it like this in Luke's gospel. He says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, right? That, that word means to say no to yourself and your wants and your needs and your desires. Take up his cross daily And follow me, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. And he states it again in Matthew's gospel. If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what benefit, what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each one according to what he has done. Now, this doesn't mean that God's vindictive, right? I want us to make that clear. He has this 
ultimate good in mind for us. He's, he doesn't take pleasure in seeing us go through painful situations just for his own entertainment, right? He's also, he's, he's the shepherd, but he's the good shepherd, right? He's not the sadistic shepherd. He's not the psychotic shepherd. He's not the mean shepherd. He's not the vindictive shepherd. He's the good shepherd, and he ultimately has our best interests at heart. That means he's going to ask us to do things that are for our ultimate good. And when I say ultimate, I mean like eternally ultimate good. He's playing the, like the really long game, you know, and I mean long, like when you search in Google and it has the Google down the bottom, like the long game. He's thinking about eternity. When I think about this perspective of, um, of God maybe doing something or allowing something a little bit painful in our lives for our ultimate good, I think about Eustace Clarence Scrub. Do you guys know about Eustace? Have you heard about Eustace? Eustace is from C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia. And he's, not, he's first introduced in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And he's not a particularly nice person at the start of that. But in the middle of the story, he gets turned into a dragon. And he, uh, he's having trouble turning back into a dragon. Being a dragon has changed his perspective on life and on Narnia and on all his, his uh, companions on the trip. And he wants to turn back into a boy so he can continue on the journey with them. Otherwise, he's going to get left on what they come to call Dragon Island. Um, and he's, he doesn't know how to change back, and he's worried. But then he encounters a lion, and uh, this lion takes him up the hill to this pool and asks him, he, he gets down to, he starts to get into the pool, and the lion says, no, you have to undress first. And he's like, that's a bit weird, I'm a dragon, but I'll give it a go. So he tries to shed his skin, and he, he tries three times to pull off his, his skin, like a, like a snake sheds its skin. And he and to get into the pool, but each time he pulls it off, he finds that he's still a dragon. So he can't get enough dragonness off himself to get into this pool. But then, so there's Eustace Clarence Scrub. Then the lion said, "But I don't know if he spoke it. You will have to let me undress you." I was afraid of his claws. I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. This is Eustace talking. So I just lay down flat on my back and let him do it. The very first tear, tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. That's pretty painful, right? And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. To shed that skin, and he goes on to talk about how ugly and horrible it looked when it was on the ground. To shed that skin was painful, right? But it was for his ultimate good. And this is in uh, how this is how Aslan works, right? And this is how they describe Aslan, who is Jesus in Narnia. When they first hear about him in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he, he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And then you all know the next line, right? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Now, 
Aslan, being the son of the emperor across the sea, or Jesus, could have just turned uh, Eustace back into a boy without any problems. Right? It wasn't that painful for Eustace to turn into a dragon. All he did was put a gold ring on his arm, and then he turned into a dragon. He could have just, you know, well, lions don't really have fingers, but he could have just blinked and, and turned him back into a boy, but he chose to do it differently. And this, is, this tells us that while it may be painful to go through, it's ultimately for our good. And the, because of the, he allows that because he knows the sheep and he knows what each of us need. He knows that Eustace wouldn't have changed if he hadn't have gone through that situation. But Jesus tells us in John chapter 10, which is the chapter we're in, the gatekeeper opens the door for the sheep and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. This is descriptive behavior of a shepherd, but the, the disciples don't get it. So the, John to, goes on to say, then he told them plainly, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. He knows his sheep. He knows each one of us. And in the context of shepherding, you saw in the video, it doesn't just mean that uh, he knows the name of the sheep or he knows about them. Uh, not in the same way that I can tell you about different actors or sports people. I can tell you their stats, how many games they played, where they live, all that sort of thing. But if they were walking down the street, they wouldn't say, oh, hey, Jason, how's it going? Because they don't know me. I don't know them. He's, he's talking in the same way. Modern day shepherds don't really know their sheep, do they? They don't name them. But in the, in, in the ancient Near East, they did know their sheep. They named them, which is why he's saying he calls them by name and they come out. Shepherds uh, these days couldn't call their sheep. They have to call their sheepdogs to make the sheep run uh, where they want them to go. But Jesus talks about the sheep following the shepherd, following his voice, walking behind him because they trust him. I mean, it's just a different way of shepherding because in the Middle East, there's no fences. There's not always grass in the same location. You have to move the sheep around quite regularly. The day in the life of a shepherd usually starts before the sun is up and they take them out to pasture and then to water and then they've got to get them out of the shade and then they've got to find some more uh, pasture in the cool of the afternoon. Then they've got to take them inside at night. There's all this moving around. You get the sense that it's kind of like being a parent helper on a kid's trip where you're always like one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. Right. They're all there. They're all there. You know, and if they start moving, you've got to go, right, where are you? You know, got to look after them. Everyone hold hands. You've got to keep an eye on them. Um, but it's the same with the sheep. You are there, you carry them, you shear them like he did there. And it's not like, you know, like the shearing competitions that they have here in New Zealand where you like just get them going. It's the, the clippers that are very time consuming. And I mean, the difference between that sheep that he was shearing in the video and a New Zealand sheep getting shorn it's just diff like night and day. The sheep's just lying there like, oh, this is so relaxing. It's like a day spa, you know, having my wool cut off. And the other, sh the New Zealand sheep are like, well, what, what just happened to me, you know? Um, like, the kid, like when you have a kid and they get their first haircut and they're like freaking out, you're just like, and they're just like, oh, what, what happened? That's how it was with Daniel for years. He didn't, he didn't like to get his hair cut, so he just had to shave his head and get him going. <laughs> You have, but as a shepherd in the Middle East, you have to be vigilant. 
The sheep are social animals and dependent on you. They need to a lot of care. But if you know them, if you put your trust in, if they put their trust in you, then they will trust you with their life. And that's the sort of relationship that Jesus wants for us and him. He's painting this picture of a life lived in total dependence on him and an intimate, constant fellowship with him. We're with him every moment. We listen to his voice. We go where he leads us. You know, he's not asking for much, just our time, attention, awareness, love, and trust. Not much, right? Just everything. But in return, he says, the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In asking us to give up our lives for him, he's not saying he's not going to do it in return. Right? He's willing to put his money where his mouth is, so to speak. He's willing to lay his own life down to demonstrate how much he loves us. This is a picture again of the shepherd in the Middle East caring for the sheep. The one who will place himself in harm's way to get between whatever danger is coming for the sheep and uh, them and the danger. I mean, sheep are not really animals with a defense mechanism. They don't have like claws or anything that they, the, the way that they get away from danger is they just run as a group, all in the same direction. And that's how they get away, just as fast as they can. Um, So if a lion or a wolf or any of those things come uh, along, it's up to the shepherd to chase them off. Otherwise, they'll just keep chasing the sheep until they catch one and eat it. The shepherd has to go out and face the danger and get himself in harm's way. And you think about... um, David talks about this before he goes out to face Goliath in uh, the book of Samuel. And he talks about how he's fought off lions and bears and all of these other dangerous creatures. And God delivered him from those things. But this is the thing that God says throughout the Old Testament as well uh, about himself. He says, uh, don't be afraid, stand firm, see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be quiet. So God says that he will fight their battles. He says it again in Deuteronomy. I have commanded Joshua at that time, your own eyes have seen everything the Lord your God has done to these two kings. The Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms you are about to enter. Don't be afraid of them, for the Lord your God fights for you. God does what we can't do ourselves. There's no way that a small uh, tribal collective back in the day was going to be able to dispossess people from the land who were in towns and cities behind walls. God had to fight for them. God does the same for us. And in this case, Jesus is talking about the enemies of sin and death, which we cannot defeat by ourselves. That's why he comes comes to lay his life down for the sheep. Because we can't defeat that enemy no matter how much we try. We dug ourselves into a hole. And you know how when people make a faux pas, but they keep trying to get themselves out of it, and you say, look, just put the shovel down and stop digging. Well, we have got ourselves into a hole, but we have not put the shovel down. and We just keep digging the hole bigger and bigger. We can't get out no matter how much we try. But Jesus has come to literally yank us out of the hole. 
We've been trying to fix the world since Genesis 3, but we haven't really understood how to go about it, how we should go about it, as if I, as a, a theologian, was trying to fix a car, right? Imagine my car broke down. I'm like, oh, look, I'll just do it. And I have no idea. Well, I have trouble building a chest of drawers for our kids with the instructions right there and everything there. And just you just have to screw the screws in. I still struggle with that. So I couldn't put a car together to save my life. But that's how we are. We're just like trying to fix ourselves and fix the world without any reference to God, without any way to actually do it. And Jesus stepped into history and made that way possible for us. So we can be in relationship with God through Jesus. We can be reconciled to God and to each other. We can live the kingdom life now. He did everything that he did to rescue and restore us, to give us, as he says at the second sentence here, I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. The reason that Jesus came, that he died, that he laid down his life was so that we could truly live. And the cool thing is that on top of that, despite the fact that he died and he resurrected, he ascended into heaven, he's still with us. He will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He contrasts himself in this chapter with the hired hands who run at the first sight of danger. And he says, no, I will stay and lay down my life for the sheep. And he's always there. And he's, you know, I think of the, the parable of the, the lost sheep in Luke's gospel, where he talks about how the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes to find the one. Jesus is always pursuing us, always calling us back to him. So the question that we need to consider as we come to respond, as sin comes and leads us in response, is how are we doing in our relationship with our shepherd? This is not something for us to feel that we've failed at, but it's something for us to sit and reflect on. How are we doing when the shepherd calls us? Do we hear his voice? Do we respond? Do we follow? Or do we wander away? Do we need to come back? So as, we, as sin leads us this morning, uh, just sit and ask Jesus to speak to you and say, Jesus, where am I in this relationship with you, in this field of your kingdom, in this flock that you have? Am I far away on the edges? Am I close to you? Can I be closer? What can I do? Help me, draw me, call me, lead me and guide me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are grateful that you are the good shepherd, that you lay down your life for us, that you will always be with us, always be present, like the shepherd watching out for us, that you place yourself in between us and the dangers and the predators. Just ask that you would remind us of that fact this morning, Lord. And wherever we are in your kingdom, that you would call us to draw closer to you, that you would speak to us and give us practical ways to do that. We thank you for your salvation the gift that you give us. We praise, worship, and honor you and ask that you would be our shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen.